Bryant. I'm Elena. And we are Hathaway there. I didn't know what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, uh, we are mere weeks from the global streaming release of Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. Uh, uh, So it is time to prepare. Are we going to build robots? Oh, I would love to build some robots, but there's no time. We have to talk about things. (laughs) I can build them pretty fast. That's true. That's true. It's just... Get to work. Got focus. Today's agenda is to teach someone everything they probably need to know to enjoy it. (laughs) I don't know that I like that you need to know all these things to enjoy it. So first, what is Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway? Well, it's some robots with their suits and Anne Hathaway's involved. That's right. It's a new theatrical animated film, the latest work in Gundam's Universal Century timeline, based on the novel Hathaway's Flash, published between 1989 and 1990. Are a lot of people on the internet thinking that there's Anne Hathaway movie pictures out there? The Universal Century (laughs) is the timeline following the original animated TV show Mobile Mobile Suit Gundam, regularly adding new works over these 42 years. Okay. At the time the novel was written, it was the only timeline. There, there, there weren't all these other universes and spin-offs, etc. The, the corporate bosses hadn't come up with that idea yet. They hadn't started launching new reboots to grab new audiences. So we don't have to worry about that. that that's just off the table to the side. Okay. Now, Hathaway's Flash was a sequel to Beltorchica's Children, a novelization of the film Char's Counterattack from 1988. All Gundam. Yes. Okay. On points where the movie Shars Counterattack and its novelization Bell Torchica's Children differ, Hathaway the film will follow the film continuity. Film leads to film, book leads to book. Okay. So we don't have to worry about that either. We can set that aside. Okay. Now, th- this book, and, and therefore this film, uh, will follow the young adult life of, of Hathaway Noah in the year UC 105. Uh, he was a minor character in some previous titles. Okay. Big question two. What happens in Hathaway's Flash? Things explode! Yeah, probably. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to avoid spoilers, even 30-year-old ones. Okay, okay. So today, we're going to talk about what Hathaway Noah did in those previous appearances, and the major trends in the world that set the stage for the story. Okay. We're, we're, we're talking backstory. We're talking some lore. Okay, okay, the Ma- lore. Some themes. Some elves and werewolves and fair folk. I hope they introduce elves and werewolves and fair folk. In little Gundam suits. <laughs> so humanity began living in giant colonies orbiting the Earth, which is such a big deal, they reset the whole calendar system. This is the Universal Century. We, we gave up on, on A.D. or C.E. The years are U.C. Okay. So when I say this story will be set in U.C. 105, it's 105 years after they, they reset the calendar. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You get to a certain point and, like, the numbers just get too big. Too big! Too big. I scared. So space colonies means space colonialism. And the people living in space got a pretty raw deal. They were colonized people. Uh-huh. The movement for spacenoid independence centered around a, a philosopher-slash-politician named Zeon Daikun. Oh. The names get a lot weirder, dear. It's okay. Then Mr. Daikun died suddenly and mysteriously, leaving behind two small children and a power vacuum. And you, you think these names are weird to me. Like, let's remember, I grew up in the time of Xenon. You did. You did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a I wonder. I wonder if Xenon was somehow inspired by Zeon. 
I mean, it is a noble gas. There are other ways to get that word. But still, one must wonder. You never know. So Zeon Daikun's right-hand guy, Degwin Zabi, declared himself sovereign ruler of a group of colonies and named them the Principality of Zeon. Okay. And he put his kids in charge of the military, the secret police, the day-to-day operations, all, all that sort of stuff. Anytime there's a secret police, you know, that... It's not a good sign. And he bent Daikun's theories uh, to support spacenoid supremacy and his own military fascism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're the bad guys. Bad guys. Zeon is the bad guys. Bad guy. Uh, Years later, Zeon declared itself independent and launched a war against the Earth Federation. Half of all of humanity died within a month. Dang! Yes. What you doing? Uh, Chill! Chill with your war! The opening gambit was to take a colony that didn't join their their war for independence, gas it, killing everyone inside, and then drop it on the earth, causing a cataclysmic impact. That right there is very, um, expanse. It gets so much more the expanse as we go That is so incredible. That is so something that, uh... Marco Inaros? Yes, Marco Inaros would do. Mm Mm-hmm. Dang! Are you remembering the article I had you yeah, proofread that explicitly compares Marco Inaros to yes, a character from Gundam? Yes, I, I am remembering Okay, that. okay, we'll get there, we'll get there. Okay. This was the first war to feature mobile suits, piloted military robots 60 feet or taller. Okay. These are just plain better than, than tanks or planes or any other military craft for, for genre reasons, Cause, just because. Because they're mobile. Because they're mobile, and they're suits. And they look cooler. They look way cooler. <laughs> The war fell into a stalemate as each side tried to bleed the other dry for months. And war crimes piled up all around. Everybody doing war crimes. Of course. Toward the the middle of the year, like this is called the One Year War. It was launched in January of of UC-79. It will end on like New Year's. Okay. So, So toward the summer, late summer, early fall, the Federation finally produces its first and best mobile suit, the experimental prototype Gundam which begins to turn the tide. This is the story of 1979's uh, uh, animated TV series Mobile Suit Gundam that, that started it all. Okay. Twelve months after the war began, the Earth Federation wins and the zombies are all dead. The, the self-declared sovereign and all his kids, all dead. Okay. Nothing, however, is done to alleviate the causes for war. In fact, the, the uh, pylon effects of the war itself make them all much worse. Oh boy. Also, Zeon's military scatters rather than disarm, and space has a lot of places to hide. It does. It sure does. Even the Earth has a lot of places to hide. Uh, uh, future it, titles yeah. have a lot to do with, like, sleeper cells activating. Oh. Yeah. But like all mecha shows, Gundam is really about the characters. So let's talk about some people important to Hathaway that were introduced even this far back, 40 years ago. Okay. So the show follows the crew of a Federation ship called White Base, mostly staffed by civilian refugees from a confused and destructive attack in the very first episode. Okay. Including acting Captain Bright Noah, a 19-year-old ensign, and the highest-ranking survivor of that first episode. White Base's helmsman is is a young woman named Mirai, a a civilian who used to park her dad's space yacht. Space yacht. He he was a big muckety-muck that died during the course of the war. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, the Gundam's pilot, Amuro Ray, a traumatized teen whose journey is basically the spine of the whole show. He's great. I love Amuro. We don't have time to really get into it, but you do have to see this picture of Amuro. Okay. Why? What's with his eyes? 
Oh, that's an artistic way of showing his total nervous uh, uh, breakdown. This is right before he gets thrown in this catatonic state into the cockpit and they launch the Gundam while he's unconscious. Okay, I would have not interpreted that as that. <laughs> um, I, I feel like he could have had pupils while still showing that. He usually has pupils. I'm a little concerned about not having pupils. Eventually, he becomes a real soldier, and this is presented as a tragic moment. His mother, in fact, mourns the man he could have been if not for the war. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the show, actually. But, but he commits himself to fighting to protect the people close to him. At this point, that means the, the people on White Base. Mm -hmm. Later in life, that will mean all of humanity. That, that is Amaro's journey through his life, through the series. Amaro looks like he'd be one of Bob Belcher's kids. <laughs> they got a fourth one that they hid away. He is a total weirdo. A different kind of weirdo than the Belchers, but I can see it happen. Right? <laughs> right yeah, right? actually, yes. Yeah. But also, very importantly, Xeon ace pilot Shar Aznable. Uh-huh. He is the secret son of Xeon Daikun, one of those two lost little baby ch children, and believes that the Zabis killed his father, and is working to kill each last one of them for vengeance. Oh. Uh, his plan is to become a great big war hero so that he can get close to the royal family and have his opportunity to off them one at a time. Of course, like you would. He is so self-centered and vengeance-driven that he will fight in their military to advance their goals in order to get his shot. He does not care. He just wants them dead. You know, as long as you got your focus. He is also so prideful that he keeps hunting the Gundam and Amaro because nobody else has faced him and survived. Okay, now you're just full of yourself. <laughs> the, the, I'm learning that a lot of these people need to take chill pills. Yeah, yeah. Uh, their rivalry uh, uh, eventually becomes about a girl they both loved, and while that's really important for their individual characters and the, the Shars counterattack film and a whole lot of other stuff, I don't think it will be in Hathaway, so we're not going to get into it. I sure hope I'm right about that. <laughs> what if you're wrong? If, if there's a young South Asian woman in a yellow dress with, with like, uh, hair buns that is, like, symbolically represented by a swan, know that my assumption was wrong and I should have told you about Lala soon. I apologize. Very curious about the swan. <laughs> so, after the One Year War, like I mentioned, there is no real peace. Conflicts of various size keep coming up because nothing has been done about the causes of conflict. We're talking terrorist campaigns, rebuilt Zeons, and the most important of these conflicts is a civil war in the Earth Federation. Uh-huh. But life goes on. Immediately after the One Year War, Bright and Mirai marry. They have two children, the eldest of which is Hathaway Noah. Ah. And also his little sister, Chemin. Chemin? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've heard her name pronounced. One of the knock-on effects of the One Year War was the Federation's Warhawk Rite was energized, and the uh, defense contractors and arms manufacturers were empowered. Between them, they started a special forces unit, the Titans, to hunt and exterminate the threat of Xeon remnants. Uh, they had no oversight, unlimited budget, just jackbooted repressive thugs. Imagine if uh, CPD had lasers. The, that's you. That's the Titans. Pew, pew. And I assume when you said CPD, you mean Chicago Police Department and not Child Protective Services. Yeah, I guess it would be CPS. Never mind. <laughs> One of the first things the Titans did was gas a colony, killing everyone. Be don't do that. Don't do that. It's not nice. Uh, because they were holding a peace rally inside. That is Chicago Police Department. Dolja. <laughs> uh, 
So in response, a political party slash paramilitary slash insurgency called the Ayug is founded to resist the Titans. Their conflict is the plot of 1985's uh, uh, TV series, Mobile Suit Zeta Gundam. Okay. The Ayug is mostly made from Federation military defectors, including Captain Bright Noah, and Xeon veterans, including Shar Aznable. I feel like I need a chart. I need like a <laughs> diagram. I've kind of forgotten who everyone is. <laughs> okay. So the captain of White Base, the, the hero ship from Gundam, uh-huh. is now the, the captain of a, an Ayug ship where all the heroes hang out in Zeta Gundam. Okay. And Shar, who is trying to kill the White Base. Uh-huh is now an Ayug pilot who serves under Bright. And who's Bright? The captain of the ship. <laughs> okay. The cap- Every ship I've mentioned... He's it, the captain of He's the captain of Okay. It, in these two conflicts that are seven years apart. Okay. Amaro, one of the other people I've mentioned... Okay. The special hero boy who used to be uh, traumatized... Yeah. Yeah. With, with no pupils. He, he got the pupils back <laughs> and is now under house arrest because the Titans can't really get rid of him because that would look bad. Although they know if he had any agency, he would work against them. Okay. He breaks out of house arrest and flies an unarmed cargo plane into a Titans prototype suit that was about to kill the Ayug leadership. Amaro owns. I love him. He rules. Does he live? Yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he totally survives this whole series. Spoilers, I guess. They don't kill Amaro. Because I was going to say, like, oh. There he goes, the one character I have a visual for. Now dead. <laughs> uh, he jumps out at the last minute with a parachute. Oh. And then he gets like rescued by Char, and they like have their first moment as allies. I, I love they that scene. They make out. You would not believe how many people. Okay, you would believe how many people. Did I just discover the fan fiction of this? You discovered a theory put forward by the director of all these works oh. we're talking about. Oh. And creator of the franchise. I'm just so good at interpreting these things. Yoshiyuki Tamino is very uh, uh, supportive of of uh, uh, Shamaro. Yeah, give me the Shamaro. And also Shar Garma. Uh, Garma is the first member of the zombie family that Shar assassinated. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. So, like I mentioned, Shar and Amaro begin to work out their differences. They share mentorship. Yeah, they of... do. <laughs> yeah. They share mentorship of a new special hero boy, the protagonist of Zeta Gundam. Their son. Yes, they, they adopt him. Uh-huh. They adopt him separately. They have sort of a shared uh, uh, custody thing. Shar takes care of him when he's in space, and Amaro takes care of him when he's on Earth. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Long distance, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Char's whole deal in this series, at this point in life, is resenting his place in history, and the turning point is when he <laughs> reluctantly embraces it. You know, that's that's really what my problem in life is. is I just resent my place in history. <laughs> like, in all of history, this is where I am. <laughs> that. So he hijacks a global TV feed because in the Universal Century, everybody watches C-SPAN, I guess. This is where the people are. Oh, okay. I would resent my place in history. (laughs) Sounds really boring. And he introduces himself by all of his aliases and argues for how evil and destructive the Titans are as uh, uh, not only hero of Zeon, Shar Aznable, the lost son of Zeon Daikun, uh, uh, Kasval Rem Daikun. The lover of Amaro. <laughs> and the co-founder of the Ayug, Lieutenant Quattro Bagina. <laughs> Quattro Bagina. The best part is that's an alias. He made that name up himself. He decided to introduce himself one day as Lieutenant Quattro Bagina. That that seems like one of those moments where he looked at like five different like food cans and just like squished the name together. Oh, 
I get I get why Amaro likes you. Yeah, yeah. And th- this is his Zeta Gundam outfit. The the sleeveless flight jacket and, and the big uh-huh. old shades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His name should be Chad. <laughs> He's a Chad. But not like a Chadwick from like Riverdale, but like a I'm a cool Chad. You're not a Chad. That, You're a Norman. That's him during the, the one year war when he was hiding his identity, so so Yeah, mass. so he was Norman. Yeah. Or like Rufus. That is an awful helmet. Loses all cool points. Who's this? Th- this is Bright. This is Bright when he was captain of White Base and, and Amuro's boss. Bright doesn't look bright. This is Bright in Zeta Gundam when he's Char's boss. Bright is a boring potato boy. That's kind of his whole deal, actually. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, this show also has Hathaway Noah's first appearance as a character as like a six or seven year old kid playing with a toy airplane. Wait, wait, wait. What does Amuro look like when he does have pupils? Okay. Here's Teenage Amaro. Uh-huh. That's Amaro with Ayug. Okay. This is Amaro at, at his most heroic. The next title we're going to talk about. Look at him strutting. Yeah. It's a, it's a good statue for all the Amaro fans out there. I just really like this pilot suit. I love the off-center red stripe. It's really good. Okay. I don't really have much to say about him. <laughs> maybe there's better. Better images. Maybe. Maybe. So the, the Ayug wins this war at an incredible cost. Uh, for one, Shar is missing in action. The, his very special hero boy that he's been uh, co-parenting with Amaro mm-hmm. is just destroyed. Oh. He's comatose. His brain gets wrecked. Uh, and the world fails to learn anything yet again. Of course. So Shar decides that if things are going to change, something radical needs to happen. And I guess it falls to me. This is when he becomes Marco Inaros. <laughs> So he sets himself up as the ruler of Neo Zeon. He, he inherits his birthright that he'd been running from all these years, right? Mm-hmm. And starts dropping asteroids on the Earth. <laughs> this is the plot of Mobile Suit Gundam Shar's Counterattack, released yes. to theaters in 1988. Yes. He intends to make the Earth uninhabitable. Once we are all space noids, the space noids will be free, and humanity will advance. Bright has gone back to his Federation commission and is now in charge of Londo Bell, a special forces task force. It's basically like the Titans, but with oversight and limits and not run by gleefully evil people. Oh, okay. The thing that got Bright to resign from the Federation regular forces and and defect to the Ayug was the leadership of the Titans literally kicking him in the face in, in his office. Yeah. Just beating him bloody. Amaro joins Lando Bell as their ace pilot. Th- this film begins with the Noah family set to evacuate Earth from the meteor strikes, but two of the three of them get bumped by a politician and his daughter. So young teen Hathaway Noah uh, gets told by his mom to go to space alone, and he makes friends with similar young teen Quest Pariah, the girl who took her seat on the shuttle from either his mom or his sister. Yeah. It's good he doesn't hold a grudge. Now, Quest is my favorite character in the entire Universal Century. Okay. You would hate her. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, really? Why is this? Uh, The reason I love her is she is the UC. Every contradiction, every small spark of hope, every repeated tragic failure is all embodied in this one person. And she does very bad things. Her, her few good facets get manipulated to serve evil ends. She is personally a privileged and very irritating brat of a girl. She's great. I love her. Okay, I can see why you think I wouldn't like her. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> Hathaway's shuttle 
gets caught in a space battle and gets rescued by, coincidence of all coincidences, his father's ship, the Ra Kailum. Uh-huh. He, he's got a new ship. He's got a new job. He's got a new state-of-the-art ship. He and Quest come aboard and get to hang out with Amaro and Bright. It's a great big happy family. Uh, the ship docks for resupply at a colony. Amaro takes the kids out for a drive. Uh, and they all happen to run into Char on horseback. Horseback? He's riding his horse. Space on, horses. On the grassy fields of uh, uh, the space colony. Like, the colonies are always presented, or at least have portions, that are big green spaces. Uh, I'm sure there's a, a, like, oxygen recycling justification for that, but there's a lot of, like, pastoral imagery that's interesting through through the series. But enough about that. We have plot. <laughs> Uh, Char happened to be in the same place in a secret negotiation with the Federation, setting up a very obvious double-cross. But hey, it's not the diplomat's problem. Whatever. He's bribing them all with gold to pay off the this financial crisis brought on by, um, what's that thing? That mythical thing. Oh, brought on by a pension crunch. Oh, I forget about pensions. <laughs> I mean, it was made in the 80s. That's more foreign than retirement. So Amaro and Char have a fist fight. As they, they shout their philosophies at each other, Quest decides, hey, that guy's right. The world is super fucked up. I'm with Char now, and pulls a gun on Amaro. Oh my. Eventually, we reach the final battle. Char is trying to drop a massive asteroid called Axis, the former capital of Neo Zeon, on the Earth. Bright is firing volley after volley of nuclear weapons to blow Axis to bits, uh, but they're all getting intercepted by Char's forces. Quest is piloting a special superweapon to defend Axis's fall from any Federation plan to stop it from falling, and Amaro's job is to get through Char and make way for a landing party to put nukes inside the asteroid and blow it apart, Armageddon-style, I guess. Oh. Hathaway was supposed to be left behind, but snuck aboard the Rock Hyloom in a little mobile worker. This is a, a construction use industrial sort of mobile suit. Much smaller, like only 15, 20 feet high. Oh, only. It, it's yellow, it's adorable. Bright pilots this the very mobile worker his son stowed away in to successfully plant the nukes in Axis, blowing it in half. One half reaches a stable orbit, the other half is still falling towards the Earth. Whoopsie. While Amaro duels Char one last time for all the marbles. Hathaway knows Quest is out there, knows he's the only person interested in actually listening to her, as the reality of uh, all of her choices is, like, setting in and tearing her apart. So he steals the mobile suit, flies out to the battlefield to find her. They really need better security on mobile suits. Yes. There's a lot of stealing of them. Every main Gundam but one was stolen. Do they not have keys? Up, up to the point of Hathaway in the, the timeline, at least. Keys, uh, fingerprint recognition, I don't know, like... The first episode of Zeta Gundam is uh, this very angsty special hero boy getting uh, harassed by a cop, and then he steals that cop's Gundam and then uh, uh, tries to step on him with it. Huh. I love Camille, he's great. Okay. But anyway, Hathaway has stolen a... a a, a grunt mobile suit and, and flown out to, to try and talk to Quest. Another character we haven't mentioned yet, Amaro's girlfriend. Uh, <gasps> how could you? How could you? It's okay, Char also has a girlfriend in this. <sighs> how could you both? 
Uh, maybe it's why they're they're so angry at each other. Uh, <laughs> they just talked and communicated. Uh, so so Amro's mechanic slash girlfriend Chan, uh, Chan flies out also into the fray to try and find Amaro and support him in the battle. Uh, Hathaway is begging Quest to, to stop and, and rethink things. You know, it's it's not too late, etc., etc. Uh, Quest fires at Chan as she you know zooms past out of you know self defense. Chan fires back, also in self-defense, and with much better aim, killing Quest. Hathaway fires on Chan and kills her as well. Oh boy. Hathaway is remembered as the boy hero who blew up the big monster weapon Quest was piloting. This does not sit well with him. Yeah. Uh, the movie ends with Amuro pushing uh, uh, the, the falling half of Axis back out into orbit with the collective will of Earth powering his space magic. Space magic. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. Space magic. Now, I expect the movie to fill you in on the parts of the backstory that you need to know. I may be wrong, but that is what I expect. Because I expect that of every movie, even if sometimes that's not true. Mm-hmm. In fact, Char's Counterattack, the, the movie we just talked about, it's probably my favorite single work in the, in the Universal Century, but it is really unfriendly to, to people watching it cold, unfortunately. I love it, but uh, I... Can't recommend it as a starting point, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. At least not without uh, some background reading. Like, maybe this podcast could serve as for people at home. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I think we really need to talk about is what's being delivered by those plots. Okay. We, we gotta talk about theme. We gotta talk about uh, uh, stuff like the psychic powers. Space magic. So I mentioned way at the top that Xeon Daikun had a lot of theories that basically added up to space noid independence. Uh-huh. One of those theories was that life in space would fundamentally change humanity. It would expand perception and connection. Uh, uh, it would allow people to truly and instantly understand one another. They would become very tall and long. But only in the pilot, because we ran out of budget. We, we just hired some weird-looking guys. We couldn't make CGI 10-foot <laughs> dudes anymore. That will forever bug me. Just <laughs> one time we're going to look like freaking avatar and then never again so some people thought this uh theory of a new type of humanity meant space turns you psychic so they started looking for psychics and they found them oh yeah you know these are called new types the tragedy of new types is they represent you know the best hope for an end to the cycle of violence and the promise of the future but they are all used as weapons instead the more potential you have to make a difference, the more the system does to destroy you, like Char's special boy from Zeta Gundam, like Quest, even. The military powers even make cyber new types. They take regular people and try to graft new type-like abilities onto them through medical experimentation and psychological abuse. It is always presented as a horrific, torturous experience, and it basically never goes well for, for the subject. Although they do become very effective at fighting wars for the people that pay to make them, so it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. Part of what the existence of new types says follows a trend of the genre. Like, mobile suits are a way to expand the body and its capabilities physically, while new types transcend the body and expand and, you know, grow these characters metaphysically. It's the next step. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, Amaro and Char's final moments were just that kind of transcendent. Uh, they both officially died during the Axis shock, which is what, you know, th- these final moments when Amuro pushes an asteroid out back into orbit is called. But it's more like they ascended. Oh. There, there are even some later sequels where they show up as ghosts. Ghosts? 
They're they're living in the realm beyond untethered to, to physical space and time anymore. Okay, okay. And while we're talking about representations, the Gundam represents the violence required to maintain empire. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned, the second Gundam model ever seen was a Titans machine painted in navy blue. Like, it looks like a riot cop or a highway cop. It only becomes a hero unit after it gets stolen by Camille, the special hero boy who hates cops, and and used for the Ayug. Oh, okay. They repaint it. There's a model of it on the shelf over there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, there are two new Gundams in uh, uh, to be featured in Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway, and I think it's fitting that they both look like massive... Uh, like horrific beasts like what what is that how, how do you even resolve this shape in your mind i don't actually know exactly <laughs> it's just a mess of machinery and aggression and, and weapons yeah psycho frame might be important and might not uh, uh the psycho frame is basically a techno babble plot device for how human thought and will is turned into mechanical action i the- like how your mechanical action Sometimes I do the robot for emphasis. Yes, you did. It was cute. The miracle of pushing away Axis was possible because Amuro and Char's cockpits were made of Psycho Frame, which resonated with one another with one another's new type abilities and you know the, the combined will of all people on Earth. But it's it's space magic. It's it's metaphorical, poetic space magic. Space but magic. In the script, it's enabled by a thing called Psycho Frame. Space magic. Some later written sequels to Char's Counterattack have sort of a Psycho Frame arms race as a running plot. I don't expect that to be in Hathaway, but if they mention Psycho Frame, they're talking about the mechanical justification for how brains make robots move and shoot their guns better. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody's talking Gundam, they're going to say that the franchise is anti-war. I think it's more correct to say that it is anti-the causes of war. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, it's very in favor of blowing up space Nazis or space CPD. Yeah. Loves that. Yeah. <laughs> Every era ends with a clear sign that things are not working. Change must come. It must be radical. It must be systemic. It must be soon. But the interests of the powerful are too entrenched. They would rather have society slowly collapse so long as they are the last to fall beneath the waves. Oh, that sounds familiar. One must wonder why this franchise still resonates with people all these decades later. Whoa. Uh, I have no idea why. <laughs> so so we have th- this repeated, repeated cycle of, of young people trapped in and, and broken by wars fought for their elders' sake. All, all while they are propped up and like, you are the hope for the future. You, the new type. You, the, the next generation. But they're ground up in, in the, the cogs of the problems of today. Let's have a little bonus recap. Okay. There was another very popular sequel to Char's Counterattack, much like how Hathaway is a sequel to Char's Counterattack, a miniseries called Mobile Suit Gundam Unicorn. Unicorn! That's a quote. Uh, really? <laughs> unicorn! There's a part where that show's special hero boy... Becomes a unicorn. He gets sort of like a mind link in the last episode with his, with the Gundam Unicorn, and he cries its name out, and it comes to rescue him. Unicorn! And the, the music swells, and I cry every time. It's so good. Now, now that series is creation. Is he pure of heart? He gets pure of heart. He and, must be pure of heart. And it changes the color of the suit's psycho frame, and that's how you know he gets his mind right. And it's so, it slaps. I love it. I love that he's pure of heart. <laughs> There's even some pretty slapping EDM on the soundtrack. Like... <laughs> 
There's my hot take. Unicorn is good, actually. <laughs> so, I like to think that the whole thing is just like a rave. There's a lot. Lots of flashiness. You can fun. think of the battles as a laser light show, but people die in it. <laughs> cool. Sounds fun. Their suits melt. There's a, there's a lot of interest in melting metal in that. Uh, uh, something it has in common with 8th MS team. 8th MS team is all about heat, desert heat, uh, uh, blasted scorched shields. Well, obviously, because it, it involves unicorns, those unicorns have the ability to not only melt metal, but your soul, if you're not pure of heart. Melted my soul. I'm sidebarring. I'm, I need... Focus. Focus. <laughs> Gundam Unicorn's creation was years and years after the Hathaway's Flash novel was written, so I don't expect any plot relation at all, but because the, the Unicorn miniseries was so popular... I wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, some uh, a reference or Easter egg somewhere in there, right? Unicorn! The basic plot is that it, it turns out the, the arms company that has been supplying each side of nearly every conflict ha has gotten some of its power by holding blackmail on the Federation government. Blackmail that dates back to the foundation of the Federation and, and the very dawn of the Universal Century. Uh-huh. The new special hero boy, who has his soul right and his mind linked to, to uh, uh, his, his uh, unicorn suit unicorn! eventually. He is given the keys to the mystery and decides that, that humanity has a right to the whole and unredacted truth of its history. The arms company wants this child dead so that the blackmail is kept safe in their hands and uses their pull in the Federation military to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Neo Zeon, under a new guy taking the mantle of Shar wants it for themselves in order to gain a, a bargaining chip over the Federation. Mm -hmm. The Federation at large would also be very happy if, if the, the secret blackmail just blew up in all the fighting and nobody had it anymore. That would be perfect. Yeah. And then there, there are, of course, people that, that are helping the special hero boy in his goal to actually do the right thing for fucking once in the history of this whole setting. Mm-hmm. Like Bright Noah, he's still around, he's still running the, the Lando Bell unit, and he has sort of a, a minor role, maybe even just an elevated cameo. But does he have a unicorn? He does not. Well, he's friends with a child that does. Unicorn! He does a little mentorship to the unicorn's pilot, uh, sees him in the legacy of previous Gundam pilots, including Amaro. Uh, the Federation still has a gigantic laser made from an entire space colony. The Titans made it way back when. Uh -huh. And they try to shoot the boy with it. Like, specifically him? Specifically him! Like, like, lock in on that boy? Him, while he is in the spot with the, the uh, uh, blackmail secrets. Okay. But they really want to kill him. So Bright uses his special ops guys to seize the laser control base, basically doing a mutiny. Mm -hmm. But they fire it anyway against his advice. Whoops. 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 So, that is everything... I think you're going to want to know or need to know. There's more, obviously. There, uh, uh, there's a lot of things I love about each title we mentioned that I don't think are relevant, so I excised them. <laughs> there are a whole lot of things that I didn't mention at all that I also quite enjoy. But I think that should do you if my guesses on what's uh, going to be significant to Hathaway are correct. Okay. People who have seen it in Japan or pirated it uh, uh, can correct me, I guess. But on July 1st, uh, uh, Netflix will be streaming it in uh, eight spoken languages and 30 subtitled languages worldwide everywhere but Japan, because they can still th see it in theaters. Uh, and we will, we will all know. We will all know well, how my guesses were. We'll know. 
So if your interest is peaked, here's where to watch the stuff we talked about. Okay. In anticipation of this this release, Netflix, uh, uh, on the day we are uh, recording this actually, added new Gundam titles for streaming. The, the original series had a trilogy of compilation movies turning 43 episodes into three feature-length films. Those are on Netflix now, as well as the film Char's Counterattack. Mm-hmm. Now, I far, far prefer the, the original uncut TV series to the compilation movies, especially the first movie. And that is available on Crunchyroll. I don't know what that is. That is a, a anime-specific uh, streaming service. They have some uh, uh-huh. uh, free-to-watch titles, some that require their, their paid uh, subscription. I believe Mobile Suit Gundam is one of those. Okay. But it is there, and it is great, and its emotional narrative actually works for the first series instead of being incredibly jerky uh, uh, as they just hit the extreme notes and not all the space in between them. That's my big problem with the first uh, uh, of the compilation movies. Talked for a bit about Zeta Gundam during this. There is nowhere that is legally streaming. If, if you want to watch that legitimately, you're, you're just uh, uh, buying the, the physical release on a recommendation, which is a thing some people do, and a thing a lot of people don't do, mm-hmm. which I get. That brings us to Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. It has been 26 years since the One Year War. 12 years since Shard tried dropping Axis on the Earth. Uh, the period of limited independence granted the Republic of Xeon uh, uh, in, you know, the One Year War Treaty has elapsed, and it is now fully a part of the Federation again. The Federation is hunting down refugees as the planet faces a climate crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and young Hathaway Noah is about to get in or make some amount of trouble. I honestly don't know. I'm not familiar with the book. I'm not lying. I... I really don't know that much about what I'm about to see, except that I am fiendishly excited for July 1st. I couldn't tell. (laughs) I had no idea you were excited. I really thought this was because of my excitement. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to turn off all the lights. Curtains. Draw all the curtains. Pretty much all the fight scenes are at night, and I want to be able to see (laughs) shit. You want to, like, borrow our neighbor's outdoor movie screen and projector? No. No. Too many distractions outside. That's where bugs are. There's traffic. No. No. Okay, I won't breathe while you watch it. (laughs) Monkey and I will stay very quiet. I'll feed her snacks (laughs) quietly so she doesn't bug you. The art looks fantastic. This this is a picture of some background character designs. Uh Uh-huh. I think these are going to be all Hathaway's friends. Okay. Everyone is super hot in this movie. I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So... They all look like they're in bands. <laughs> they all look they like, all they're, look like in they're in different in... bands. But bands I listen to. <laughs> I listen to all of these bands. This is teenage Char's counterattack Hathaway. Oh. Uh, uh, you, you say that. Here's uh, uh, Mobile Sugundam Hathaway, young adult Hathaway. Aren't we fancy? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're dressed up. We, we had a glow up. Look at how he okay, wears that shirt. There we go. There we That's go. That's the look. The, that, the yeah. Buttons undone, no suit jacket, sleeves rolled up. Yes. Yeah. That is how you, yeah. Actually, you know who has a really good uh, uh, pilot suit? Marco Inaros. <laughs> oh, you mean the one that's just a reference to Char's uh, uh, uniform and Char's color? It's Char's so good, though. Oh my, that's Xenon. That is Xenon. That's that's Quest in her, her uh, pilot suit. So this just really goes with the picture that is in my brain as you've been describing all this, like, I've very much had, like, the Expanse meets Xenon fashion and mm-hmm, people. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, also like the unicorns from Gravity Falls and Star. <laughs> yeah. She really fits into this aesthetic I have going on in my brain. The, the asymmetric pigtails, one of them with the like a, a red rope. Yeah. It. yeah. But Marco Anaris's is better. Marco Anaris does have the really like distressed worn leather thing. Yeah. Where, while yeah. Char as head of Neo Zeon is like projecting an imperial regality. Like if there's anything, any wear on this suit, he gets a new one because that's, that's his image that he's trying to project. He yeah, literally and that's projects, not as sexy. He literally projects an image. There, there's a scene where he talks to the troops and his, there's a hologram that is like five battleships tall hanging in space. He's very presentational in, in that film. I know what you want. There you go. Yes, tear those sleeves off. There we go. Quattro Bajina. With his bowl cut. Quattro Bajina. The 80s, man. The 80s. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, his one-year war pilot suit is really good. That's good. This sword fight in the last episode, oh, it's great. I love that the last fight between Char and Amaro is a sword fight out of their uh, uh, suits. Yeah. Yeah, they, they take their big metaphorical clothes off and then embrace and, and... Rub their swords together? I was going to say, I was going to say Amaro penetrates Char. Oh my god, well smooching! Char gets stabbed in the face in this sword fight. They, they mutually penetrate because, uh, uh... Are they just star- stabbing each other with their helmets? Their swords are nowhere near each other. Th- this is zero G. So because of momentum, after this thrust went through Amro's shoulder, the sword broke, and he still had momentum, which is why they crash into each other. But it's also really so they can be face-to-face, and they, they can be connected in every way. Mm-hmm. As they should be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This scar here on his eyebrow uh, is from that sword fight. He has it for the rest of his life. You never forget that sword fight anytime Char is around. I mean, it makes sense. Like, this looks like a big scar. Mm-hmm. You would have it. I mean, I'm sure if uh, Amaro ever went sleeveless, he, he'd also, <laughs> you'd also see one on his right shoulder all the time. But that doesn't, it doesn't come up. It's such a good look. Amaro doesn't do beach episodes. <laughs> Damn it. So, uh, I ran out of notes. So if I keep mm-hmm. talking, we're just going to keep talking uh, aimlessly. And uh, we'll, we'll eventually wind up in double O for some reason. And nobody wants to hear my takes on that. I love you. I love you too. Uh, I hope this is useful to literally anyone because it was certainly a lot of fun for me. And I'd like it to exist for two reasons minimum. (laughs) Uh, I still need a diagram. (laughs) Like a murder board with string. Oh man, so many strings are coming off a shower. That dude can't stop doing murders. It doesn't have to be about murder. Okay. With that, I hope people uh, give Hathaway a shot. I hope it's worth all this anticipation. I, I'm going to be crushed if it sucks. You've got some high expectations, darling. It will certainly be pretty. The trailers prove that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'll be visually interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they got the uh, director of Cowboy Bebop, among other things, to do storyboards for part of it, so it's going to look good. Which I've been told I need to watch. You would love it. Yeah. As sure as I am that you would not like Quest as a character, I'm sure that you would love <laughs> Cowboy Bebop as a, as a show. I like the name. feel like I want to like it just for the name, if nothing else. Yeah. Quattro Bagina. That's seriously one of those things where they're like, what's your name? Uh, uh, qu- qu- Quattro? What is uh, on his um, desk? Four flashlights uh, to, to come up with Quattro uh, Bagina? Jean, uh, <laughs> Chew. uh. <laughs> Quattro Bajina Achua. Achua. How do you spell that? Is there an umlaut? Maybe. 
Please be on the lookout for upcoming regular episodes. Uh, the next History Honeys outline is nearly complete. Every week that goes on brings us closer to both Season 5 and Season 6 of Riverdale. Yep. The break between seasons is just going to be a couple weeks. It's going to be very strange, but more on that when we get to it. Do we actually know how many episodes are left of Season 5? Not a lot. Because, like, what if they're just, like, two episodes, and then they're like, we'll see you in November. And most importantly, keep in mind that this coming Tuesday, the 22nd, is Fast Tuesday. Fuck yeah. The 20th anniversary of the theatrical release of The Fast and the Furious. A pivotal moment in my life. Also, coincidentally, our wedding anniversary, but that is less important. This is actually true. This is very true. <laughs> In 2023, it will be our 10th anniversary, and we will have the special round number, and, and then Dom and Brian and the rest can take the back seat. But for now... Crack open a Corona with us. Enjoy! Yeah, that's all I got. I don't know. <laughs> We're gonna have fun. We got a board game to play. There's yes. a Fast and the Furious board game. It looks great. <laughs> we got a marathon to do. <laughs> Doesn't the new movie come out next week? Wow, it, com it comes out the 25th, huh? We will be so prepared! <laughs> This is its sixth release date, so uh, that, that might be part of the confusion. I really thought it was coming in July. I think originally it might have been. Like, I feel like it was like July 6th or something. Well, damn. That movie came fast. And furious. <laughs> Nine. So we gotta be ready. But we keep moving forward, getting closer to that destination. I'm Grant. I'm Lena. And we are Hathaway There. There.